Marini's Media. Hello and a warm welcome to the Offside Rule WSL edition. Coming up on this show, we reflect on another brilliant women's football weekend that saw United come from two goals behind to draw the Manchester derby and remain top of the WSL. Chelsea denied Arsenal the chance to regain the top spot. Their late, late equaliser in the London derby maintaining the Blues' unbeaten record. And Birmingham dig deep to beat Aston Villa in the very first WSL match between the two sides. Well, welcome along. I'm Kate Borsay. No Lindsay today. She's tripping the light fantastic somewhere. Uh, but I'm pleased to say, joining me for this episode, we've got the BBC's women's sports reporter, Joe Curry. Hi, Joe. Hi there, Kate. How are you? Well, listen, I feel like quite privileged to be in your company because uh, one of the few people you've been hanging out with <laughs> since we spoke last was Megan Rapino. How is the queen of football? Oh, Pino's got nothing on you, honestly. Um, she she was great. Look, she's always a pleasure to interview. It sounds simple, but she turns up on time. She wants to be there. She thinks about her answers. And boy, does she give some answers. You know, you can ask her anything. It doesn't matter if it's political or anything else. She wants to give an answer. So, um, yeah, it was a it was a joy to speak to an athlete with an opinion and not afraid to, to give it. Oh, very interesting indeed. Well, we get to hang out with another titan of the game today, Joe, because joining us for this episode is the Sheffield United forward who's played for Everton, Liverpool, Notts County and Doncaster Rovers Bells. Name me a team she's not been at. Uh, Courtney <laughs> Sweetman-Kirk, welcome to the pod. Yeah, that's quite a rap sheet, that one, isn't it? <laughs> Well, some very esteemed sides there. It also means that you've been in and around women's football, as we know, for a very long time. I think I remember you mostly from Liverpool. You went through some really ripe periods of form and I think you won. Did you win Player of the Year or Young Player of the Year? I can't quite remember. Yeah, there's there's quite a few in there, really. I think every club I've been at, I've, I've been quite lucky. I've, I've been top goal scorer. That's, what, that's my job, to score goals. So, I've you know, mm. I've had some great teammates around me, which is... Um, which is always helpful as a forward. But yeah, just that it's been great to experience the women's game over a number of years and obviously the the rise of it as well, because I, I won't yeah. show my age too much, but of the generation where we, <laughs> we almost paid to play. And, you know, when you were young, it wasn't something you think you could do, be a professional footballer. So I've been very lucky in, in that yeah. um, sense. And having been just that kind of half a generation too early, I think, Courtney, it's fair of me to say, before it went into full full professionalism what's it like for you in terms of making your mark on the game because as you say your goal scoring record is legendary but I don't think probably enough of the current WSL fans for example know about you you were just just a little bit too early on the scene to be tearing up the WSL <laughs> perhaps right now what does that feel like for you as a player though and do you often think about when your playing career is done how you might make your mark and make the most of the fully professional game now? Um, I think uh, there's one thing that I've always said, and it's specific to football and, and the women's game, but also life. You've got to try and leave things in a better place than what you found it. So regardless of, of my personal profile or stature, if I can be a part of growing the women's game and getting it to a point where it is, uh, which I have been a part of, then that's something mm. that I'm happy with. And, you know, that that next generation, leaving that there for them. Because as I said, when I was young growing up, professional football female football wasn't something that was on the telly wasn't something that was seen and you know when I always used to say as a kid I want to play football as a job I always got laughed at so I've got the last laugh now ideally that that would have you know come five years earlier and that would have been great but 
for me, I've been doing a lot of media stuff, which is has been really good for me. Sort of thinking about, you know, I'm nowhere near retiring, but you know, with women's football, it's always the case that you've you've got to think that one step ahead because it's you know it's not money that you can retire on. So again, it's now a different stage of seeing, you know, like Alex Scott's been fantastic and seeing more women yes. doing, you know, media punditry, co-coms, whatever that may be, to again show that that different side to to female athletes. Yeah, well, I think it's great to have you on. And it's also great because you do come from a generation who are not afraid to express their honesty. And I'm <laughs> setting the stall out for you early here, Courtney. <laughs> but what's really nice, I think, is um, because um, a lot of you have had to do other jobs and you've seen the rise of women's football, you're very honest in your analysis and very realistic in your analysis. And I'm sure uh, a few of the younger forwards at Sheffield United have been benefiting from your wisdom, as we will today. Um, you are currently at Sheffield United. You you had a game at the weekend and you came on as a sub against yeah. league leaders Durham and, and it, it must have been a frustrating one I suppose because had you won that game depending on how Leicester did you could have gone top couldn't you? Yeah definitely it's one of those I think you know first of all it's credit to Durham because you look at what they've done this season I think you know through the last few years they've always been a difficult team to beat especially when you go up to Durham play on their pitch and it's tight and they always make it difficult but I think they've they've definitely turned a corner this year. I think they play the ball as well very well. The great thing about the championship this year is, you know, there's there's potentially four teams in the running that could go yeah, up. It's there's, tight again, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, very tight. Yeah. And I think that's what the um that's what the championship needs. And then the women's football pyramid as a whole, I think for you know, that that's why the WSL was brought in to make football, women's football more competitive. And I think for a few years it's even so, it's still not done that. You've still got the same top three teams, whereas now it's fantastic in both leagues. You've got Everton pushing Man United. You've got four teams pushing the new championship. And I think, you know, going forward, that's the big thing that women's football needs because the men have got, you know, five professional leagues to back up that pyramid, whereas we've not got that depth yet. And I'll probably bore you for a second now, but that's what I did my master's on, my sports business. Uh, master's, did you? Yeah, dissertation yeah. on sort of women's football and, and the depth and in terms of the FA and are they the right people to take that forward? Um, so yeah, I could go on all day about that, but I think that you know the, <laughs> the main thing is is the depth. I think that needs to continue throughout the women's game. Yes, it does. And it's frustrating, of course, during these times when we're under COVID restrictions because a lot of that depth immediately gets taken out just because there's no COVID-19 protocols in place because a lot of the lower league clubs cannot uh, afford to do a proper uh, protocol in terms of testing and stuff. So it is it is a frustrating time, I know. All right, well, let's move on to the football action. It was Women's Football Weekend, as we've said, a great occasion without the crowds of last year. And of course, that's a shame, but... Still a great opportunity for teams in the WSL and in the championship uh, to show what they're made of. And also those staggered kickoffs, such a good idea, wasn't it? I'm sure both of you did. Well, I I did on Saturday. I didn't watch so much on Sunday, but Saturday was just back-to-back games. Uh, so I'm imagining both of you sitting on your sofas with your popcorn out, uh, just <laughs> just indulging in one game after another, right, Joe? I barely moved all weekend. It was terrific. And you know what? Kudos <laughs> to the FA because they've got this weekend on. They made every game free to air, which I don't believe has ever happened before. And no, the most, it hasn't. And the most pleasing thing for me, when you look at the, the Super League and the results we got this weekend, I mean, how competitive was that set of results? Every game was either a draw or was won by a single goal. There were no 8 nil hammerings. There were no, no embarrassing results. There were really cracking games of football. So, yeah, there were no fans in stadiums. And we've seen in the past those huge crowds going into White Hart Lane and to the Etihad. 
But um, I think the FA did all that they, they could do with it. And the fact that everyone could watch it from home was, was terrific. Courtney, I know you were watching the football all day Saturday and then the boxing too. And there was women's rugby on. So it's like a feast of women's sport this weekend. It was great, wasn't it? Yeah, it was absolutely amazing. I was I was similar to Joe without the popcorn because um, <laughs> I had a game <laughs> the next day. But yeah, sat there for literally most of the day, game after game. And it was just brilliant. As, as we've said, the standard now with the WSL and the competitiveness is is improving so much and I think that's what the women's game needs and people you know were watching that and seeing how exciting every single game was um, and yeah as you say the rugby the women's rugby was on and then I watched the boxing at night so it was a fantastic day for women's sport. Yeah, it was and your birthday as well this week yeah. so happy birthday Thank from you. all of us Courtney. <laughs> all right well let's turn our attention uh, to the ins and outs of those weekend results now starting with the big derby. You're listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition from Muddy Deans Media and The Athletic. City leading 2-1 in the derby, but United have another corner. In it comes, left-footed again. It's in there, bouncing around and close range. It's smuggled home in the second time back in by Kirsty Hansen. A superb save from Roback. Denies her the first effort, but the second time she knocks it home. And United have got their equaliser back from 2-0 down in the derby. Manchester United came from two goals down against Manchester City to maintain their unbeaten start to the WSL season and keep them top of the league. City raced to a 2-0 lead before half-time with strikes from Chloe Kelly and Laura Coombs. We thought it was all done and dusted, but no. Casey Stoney clearly had a few words for her team at half-time. United hit back through a second-half wonder strike from American World Cup winner Tobin Heath. Oh my gosh, it was delicious. Uh, before super sub Kirsty Hansen levelled things up. Let's go through this in detail then. Um, gosh, City was so dominant in that first half. I think Manchester United looked a bit bewildered, didn't they, Joe? The thing that I was really impressed with was Casey Stoney at full time came out and she was asked, you know, what was that team talk like at half time? And she went, Do you know what? I'll hold my hands up. I got it wrong in the first half. I got my tactics wrong. We got the press wrong. So that's why in the first half we didn't. You know, we didn't get it right in second half. We changed things up and, and we got the result. And I think for Casey to come out and admit that. Um, yeah, fair was, enough. Yeah, exactly. But City, so dominant in that first half. And we've we've seen glimpses of City at their best this season, maybe against Arsenal in the FA Cup semi-final. You know, when they're on it, they're really on it. And then second half, it, it just started to fall apart a little bit. They didn't play badly, but it's kind of like United got their tactics right and City yeah. couldn't, couldn't adapt to it. From your point of view, Courtney, um, watching that, what did City get so right in the first half and what did Manchester United get so right in the second half to level it up? I think for me, in the first half, Man City, it's their movement. It's incredible. I think when you look look at them, especially going forward, there's really no set positions. And because they're all so tactically intelligent, they just fill the right spaces. And the only thing that I would say that they got wrong is they didn't score more because I think they could have quite easily gone into that second half 4-0 up and I think then the game would have been dead. You know, fair play to Casey. I'm not surprised in terms of her comments because she was very similar as a teammate in terms of she will take responsibility and that's why she was always such a great leader and a a great captain and now Mm. makes a great manager and I think she changed it. She got after Man City more, the players did and and again, when they got into those areas, they they were so much more clinical than City were. They had less chances but, but more clinical and as we say, that strike... 
was absolutely phenomenal. But again, <laughs> Tobin Heath. Yeah, Tobin Heath. What a strike that is. But it's not just the strike. It's the fact that she's, she was um, gambling on Lucy Lucy Bronze making a mistake. And, you know, some players might not have been paying attention. The ball goes back slowly. And then, you know, there's time to clear it up. Because she was so front foot and the pressing was so high intensity that she was yeah. there. She was on it and bang, top corner. And yeah, I mean, the more you watch that strike, the better it gets. Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. I'm a massive Tobin Heath fan and she seems to have settled into the WSL perhaps better than the likes of Rose Lavelle, hasn't she? Why do you think that is? I think it's because she's more aggressive. I think, you know, our, our league now is becoming, it's, it's, it's getting an identity and it's a, it's a very aggressive league and you've got to be strong, you've got to be fast, but also be technically good. The imports that come over and from all over the world that are maybe more just about their technical game that's where they struggle because, you know, when you're coming against, you know, the likes of Amy Turner, for example, that will go through the back of you without a care in the world. Steph Houghton will do the same. Gemma Bonner, um, you've got to have a bit of a thick skin to be able to take that on the chin mm. and, and get up again. So I think the more aggressive the player, the better that they fit in in the WSL. Yeah, Sam Mewis has certainly fitted in well and she, you know, was yeah. really, really good again for City, especially in that first half. So the subs were key as well here, weren't they, Joe? Kirsty Hansen coming off at half time and Casey still had Lucy Staniforth on the bench. She came on for Heath eventually. But I think the press, as Courtney's mentioned, was key here, wasn't it? And we saw that against Arsenal last weekend too. And it, you know, it certainly seems to be something that Manchester United have got in their locker, which they they shouldn't shouldn't be afraid to pull out. I mean, certainly when it comes to substitutions, I think it's something you've touched on in this in this pod before is the fact that Casey doesn't call them subs; she calls them game changers. Yeah. And, you know, she has that strength and depth now. She's built a team, a whole squad, a competitive squad, international players on the bench as well, very, very quickly. I will say one thing about Tobin Heath. One of the best players in the world needs to pull her socks up. And I mean that literally. <laughs> literally. I don't mean that figuratively. I just think she could, you know, look a little smarter, that's all. The thing about Tobin and Sam Mewis and, and the US, we always talk about their winning mentality. They said it's not a winning mentality as such. It's just we expect to win. So when I've seen City concede, it's normally Sam Mewis who gets the ball out of the back of the net and runs to the halfway line and is ready to kick off again whilst the other City players, mm. you know, are still mm. on the ground going, oh, we've conceded. Um, and the other thing I'd say about City as well is that we're not used to seeing them concede goals. We're not. And that's the difference this season. They're conceding. And I'm still not totally convinced by playing two left backs in defence. Last season, you know, Gemma Bonner and Steph Horton were pretty solid as a centre-back pairing. I think Gareth Taylor's come in, he's using Alex Greenwood and Demi Stokes. Demi is staying at left-back and Alex more as a kind of left-sided centre-back. And look, her, her deliveries for set-pieces are so dangerous. Yeah. Oh, they're so good. Corners, free kicks. Um, she, You know, she deserves her place on the pitch. Demi Stokes, probably the most defensive left-back we have in the country. But for me, those conceding of those goals may come down to the fact that a, a double centre-back pairing would probably be stronger for them. Yeah, Demi Stokes um, definitely proved her worth in this game. There was another good chance for Manu at the end. It was a bit of a goal mouse scramble. Uh, Leah Galton and Lucy Staniforth involved. It was blocked by Ellie Roebuck. She went down and was cleared off the line by Demi. So uh, United could well have taken the game. Do you think that that would have been the case, Courtney, if... If the, if the game had continued, do you think United would have taken it or do you think City would have asserted themselves? No, I, th- I think you're right. I think it was one of them games, if it, you know, an extra five, ten minutes. And you feel it as a player as well. And you're looking at the clock and thinking we just need five more minutes or ten more minutes because the momentum was was all with Manchester United. And, you know, the full time whistle came at the right time for 
for City, although I think it, you know, it's that football cliche. It really was a game of two halves. So on balance, I think the draw was the right decision because, yeah. Man, you know, Manchester City by far were the, were the best team. Manchester United for the first half looked like rabbits in the headlights. But, you know, Manchester United came out in the second half and, and, and smashed it. So, and that's why we love football because, you know, that's in the same game. It's 90 minutes and it was absolutely polar opposite. So, yeah, I think I think a draw all in all was the, was the fair, fair result. Yeah. Okay, well, let's stay at the top of the table then and talk about the two sides hot on United's heels. The heating's on. It's getting darker earlier and earlier. So why not cheer yourself up this November with a subscription to The Athletic for just £1 a week? For only 100 of your English pence every seven days, you'll get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a breaking news service and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash offside. Well, Chelsea grabbed a dramatic last-minute equaliser to stop Arsenal going back to the top of the WSL. One all it finished at Meadow Park. Beth Mead looked like she'd won it for the Gunners with her 86th-minute strike. But a speculative effort from Chelsea's Penila Harder deflected off Arsenal defender Lotta Wuben Moy for an outrageous own goal at the death. It was just drama, 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 drama. Uh, that salvaged a point for Chelsea uh, to extend their unbeaten WSL record to 27 matches. Now, we had Arsenal Arsenal blogger and general Arsenal women's expert Tim Stillman on the show last week, Joe, and he said he was really worried about this one, but very interested to see what Joe Montemuro was going to do. What was your take? I mean, to be honest, I was a little worried for Arsenal heading into this game. Chelsea has become a, a bogey team for them, um, perhaps in, in recent years. And I thought it was a slightly nervy start and several times in the first half, you saw all 11 players behind the ball in their own half. Mm. Their tactics seemed to be to to make Chelsea really work for it. And Chelsea did struggle to to break them down in that respect. It worked. And then, you know, they started to get more confident heading into the break. And then second half, they, they played a lot better. I mean, this wasn't the best game from start to finish. You know, the first half was a bit dry. I thought the last five minutes were incredible. Yes. And on <laughs> on on the, you know, when you look back at it, I think a draw. Uh, I think managers, both managers will probably be a little disappointed, but I think a draw was about right. And it makes, you know, that that title race that little bit more exciting going forward as well. Yeah, um, Courtney, I think Joe Montemura will be the more frustrated. Um, Emma Hayes at the end of the game said she wanted to give credit to him and his team. They did really well. Arsenal dominated the second ball and she felt that Arsenal had a better game plan or executed their game plan better than Chelsea did. She called it a good point away from home. So I think that that sums it up well. Just um, a really unfortunate sort of set of events. I think Lotta Wuber Moy was was so unlucky there, wasn't she? Yeah, I don't I don't think you can obviously blame her for that. I think you know she's she's tried to get something on the ball, and you know sometimes in football those freak things happen. But again, with Chelsea, you know on the flip side of that, you've you've got to be in it to win it. You've got to keep going till the end and and try and make something of you know them balls that you think you know might be going out or don't look great. And and they've made something of it. But you know I watched the replays of it because because I was playing myself, and it was very interesting as we see to to see Arsenal so defensive and you know put so many people in in their half which you don't normally see because they normally go at teams yeah. so it was very interesting for, to, for them to do that and to do it so well actually because it's not something that they do very often so I think it is fair play to Joe Montemiro there because he's obviously got his team well drilled doing something that they don't usually do and you know with with their injuries and stuff like that they've had to maybe approach the game game in a different way and try and frustrate Chelsea and they have got really quick forward so you know working on the counter it's it's not surprising that they can do that well 
realistically, I think Joe would probably be the happier of, of the two of the two managers there. Yeah, I think so. There were other chances uh, for Arsenal, though, as Joe pointed out, it was a fairly muted game, really, up to uh, the last five minutes or so. There was uh, uh, something for Caitlin Ford there on about 44 minutes, um, a strike from just outside the box, and it was one of those boing, boing, boing ones. It hit the bar, it bounced down, <laughs> dropped back down onto the bar again before being punched away um, by the Chelsea keeper. And Miedemar... Looked to have a really good chance, actually, um, in the final 10 minutes that she fired just past the post. But then, of course, she turned provider for Beth Mead to score. And there was one from Sam Kerr. She could have won the game in injury time. What's your take on Sam Kerr, Courtney? I mean, Lindsay was quite bold in the last podcast and said she thinks that Beth England's a better player, better suited to where Chelsea are right now in terms of their game than Sam Kerr. What do you think of that? I, I tend to agree, to be honest. Again, Beth's a, another another player that I've played with, and, and her development has been fantastic. Yes. You know, when she first first went to Chelsea, she was playing left wing back, I think. So you know, she's really staked her claim there, and I don't think you can you you can bet against her in terms of of her ability and her goal scoring. Sam Kerr's a, a difficult one because she's obviously you know done great in America and and out in Australia and. I can't really work out why she's she struggled the way that she has because in terms of the way she plays, she's a build and, and she's quick, she's aggressive, but I don't know. She's just not really hit the ground running, and she yeah, she's not found her form. Yeah, or is she one of those players whereby you know managers or she's been used to managers perhaps building a team around her more? The problem with. Chelsea, the problem and also the, the joy of Chelsea is they've got so many different options there and they do play uh, tactically differently um, each game. Emma Hayes is very, very into that, very, you know, an incredibly tactical manager. So what that means for Sam Kerr is that she's not always guaranteed a starting place and that she's having to kind of slot into that team sometimes from the bench. And she's not she's not proving her worth as an impact sub, um, but then she's perhaps not getting enough game time consistently uh, in terms of starting places that she'd normally be used to. It is a funny one, though. I don't proclaim to have the answers. I'm not sure any of us do. Um, who was the last team to beat Chelsea in the in the, in the the WSL? That That's my pop quiz for you two. Do you want to... I mean, I, mean, I don't expect you to I get this, this right. One. Do you know, I do this, know one? this one? Yeah. I, see, I, I know it was 27 games ago. I can't remember who it, it was. It was Birmingham, wasn't it, I believe? Well done to and you. Ellen, I remember Ellen White. You can't forget that um, celebration. The 92nd minute winner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well done. You've just gone 10 points up in my estimation <laughs> level. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next one. Uh, another draw, Everton up against Reading. Uh, Everton were joint top of the WSL before their FA Cup final defeat. They were held to a one-all draw by Reading. All the goals came in the first half. Simone McGill uh, put Everton ahead, but Reading equalised through Natasha Harding. An element of luck about the equaliser. It was great, though. It appeared to be a cross that flew straight into the far corner. Was it meant? Was it not meant? Uh, Having won their first four WSL games, Everton are now winless in three. So, Courtney, we're going to have to ask you about your old side here. Do you think Everton, in the nicest possible respect, overperformed at the beginning of the season and we're just sort of starting to see things level up a little bit? Uh, Or is that harsh of me? Yeah, I think think it's, I will say it's slightly harsh. I'll back them. I think, you know, I think they've gone behind the scenes in terms of their investment in the women's team and... In terms of the, the big thing that I always think about as well, it's not just the money, but in terms of resources and how they're treated within the club in, in terms of women's as a whole. And I think 
you know, when I was there, we were at Finch Farm, but I think in terms of how they've integrated now, it's getting better and better and how they're viewed within the club. So I think that's a massive thing that they've got to be commended for. Um, Willie Kirk's done a fantastic job in there and I, I do think they've done well. And I wouldn't say they've overperformed, but now I think they've got a slightly smaller squad, for example, than others. So losing Govan, that will hit them hard. Whereas, you know, we've just talked about Chelsea and their strength in depth. So if they if they lose Beth England, they've got a Sam Kerr. So that's the sort of thing that Everton are fighting against now. So I think it will be as well. It, that hangover from losing the FA Cup, I think that, you know, football is all about momentum. So losing yeah. losing a few games, it will be difficult for them. Um, and then you, you then get into a bit of a rut sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Joe, let's talk about Reading. Three draws in a row for them. They're just sort of kind of, I want to say slow and steady, but they're not that slow, but they are steady. Great strike from Tash Harding. Love that. They've got strong personnel there. They've never been a razzmatazz side, have they? But they've always been structured really, really well. Kelly Chambers has always been so consistent. But she said at the end of the game that there was frustration there because she feels that performances are okay. Performances are there, but they're just not turning them into results. What can they do? How can they how can they make a change there? How can they change what they're doing in order to start clocking up those wins rather than draws? I mean, firstly, I don't think Kelly Chambers ever really gets the the kind of kudos that she she deserves. Mm. I think people also forget that Reading don't have a Premier League team, men's team attached to them, funding them. So I suspect their the budgets are probably smaller than the, the teams around them, yet they still manage to sign quality international yes. players every season. And I don't think, you know, they're always talked about as being the kind of fifth place team, as if that's a bad thing, as if they should be, you know, I, I just don't think people realise that it's probably slightly harder for for Kelly than perhaps managers who have these Premier League teams with slightly bigger budgets. But, you know, with the players she got, should she she probably feels like she should be doing a bit more. Tash Harding, I'm sure, will say it was a shot, not a cross <laughs> at the weekend. Um, <laughs> but yeah, for, for them, I don't think, you know, if they finish somewhere around fifth this season, I don't think it's a disappointment. It's consistency. And that's not easy to do in the Women's Super League. Yeah. Well, if there was ever a side who I would invest in, if I was a parent club, I would invest in Reading. I'm sure that you feel the same, Joe. They've got everything there ready with that bit of support, perhaps a few more signings. They could do what Everton are showing us is, is you know, totally possible in the women's game. They always seem to be incredibly well-structured as, as a club, Reading women. I, I, I remember going there to, to film a piece with Jade Moore and Joe Potter when, when they were there and having conversations with people at the club about, you know, it, it's not just the, the top women's team. They, they have such a great structure in terms of, of girls' uh, teams below that as well. But yeah, you know, with money comes bigger name players and generally in the Women's Super League comes comes the success with that. You know, you look at Manchester United, they've managed to go in, what, two and a half seasons from not having a team to being top of the Women's Super League. But it all comes down to, to the men's club and what they can and can't afford and what they deem to be yeah. needed in the women's game. OK, well, let's move on to our next game and it's a Birmingham derby. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. 
This is the Offside Rule WSL edition with me, Kate Borsay. Today I'm joined by BBC Women's Sports reporter Joe Curry and Sheffield United's Courtney Sweetman-Kirk. So, first Birmingham derby that we've seen, and we're allowed to call it that rather than a West Midlands derby, according to Lindsay Hooper, so we'll go with it. Uh, Birmingham City had to dig deep, didn't they, to overcome Villa in a disappointing second City derby. It was the first meeting between the sides in the WSL. Claudia Walker with the only goal of the game, but what's remarkable is that Birmingham's squad had been decimated by injuries and COVID-19 restrictions, meaning that they could only name two subs at Villa Park. And I think, Joe, on Thursdays, the Thursday before the game, they only had 10 fit players, didn't they? So all that taken into account, yeah, really good result for Birmingham. Again, Carla Ward, what she's managed to do with Birmingham, I think she's already surpassed what we thought she could do all season. Mm. Um, but I think questions has to be raised safety-wise about the fact there were only two subs. It makes the result that, that more special. But yeah, it, it shows that she obviously threw together, we've talked in, in depth on this pod before about the fact she basically threw together more or less an entire squad at the last minute. She said she had to sign. She signed the players that other clubs didn't want. Um, and she's taken those players, she's given them confidence and she has brought out the best in them so quickly. It says a lot about, you know, the, the fact that the players clearly have belief in in what she's yeah. building there. Claudia Walker's a great example of that as well, isn't she? Oh, she's banging goals left, right and centre. But because she plays for Birmingham, it kind of goes under the radar a little yeah. bit. If she was at what we'd call one of the top what five clubs now, people would be raving about her probably that little bit more. But clearly when the, the next transfer window opens in January, Carla Ward needs bodies. But, the, you know, we talk about the fact it was played on a big stage at the weekend without fans. It just seemed a bit quiet, a bit echoey. And it was such a shame. Yeah. Do you think that that was almost a bad thing, Courtney, for it to be played at Villa Park? Do you think that that had a detrimental effect? I think it's, yeah, it, it could do because, you know, as a player, you get used to your home ground. You get into your, you know, your little superstitions potentially that a lot of players have and, and you get into a rhythm. So, I you know, I understand why when fans are allowed in the ground, you have these big showpiece games to try and get as many people through the door. But I think when you're doing that and there's no fans in the ground, it's a bit of a strange one for me. Okay, I'm going to move straight on because we are tight on time to Bristol City. Tottenham, another draw this one uh, to all. Well, last week uh, we had a debut. Now we've had a first start, everyone. Uh, Alex Morgan played. I feel like I've bigged this up far too much on this podcast. But anyway, (laughs) Alex Morgan played the first half of Spurs' two-all draw with Bristol City. City took the lead with a penalty after Ebony Salmon was brought down by Siri Vaughan. Vaughan made amends though, scoring from a great free kick just before half time. Tottenham took the lead in the second half through Ashley Neville's header, but after Spurs' Rihanna Dean, who was on for Alex Morgan, was shown a straight red card for a challenge on keeper Sophie Bagley, City equalised in injury time through Ebony Salmon. Uh, a really, actually a really lively game, this one. So I think we need to give it a little bit of time. Um, Spurs still looking for their first win of the season, but it's a first point of the season for Bristol City. Um, and as I said, a really entertaining match, Courtney. Yes, it was very good to watch. You know, Bristol have, have really been through it. Tanya, their manager, she's self-isolating because of uh, a positive test as well. So it was a difficult been a difficult few weeks for that group but testament to them they've they've really stuck together and I think they put in a really good performance and and the, the ball at the end from Gemma Perfield for 
for the equaliser for Ebony Salmon was absolutely fantastic. What a great ball that was. Yeah, I um, saw and you yeah. tweeted about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Gemma, Gemma can PayPal me the money over now to my account. <laughs> but no, it, it was fantastic from her and not surprised because I, I talked to Gemma a fair bit and, and you know, it, it's been a difficult few weeks for them, but she's a great technician. So I'm not surprised for her to be doing that. But I'm, I'm quite surprised with Spurs, to be honest, in terms of I didn't realise they were as far down the table as they were. I think, yeah. you know, they've done so well last season. I don't know whether the whole Alex Morgan situation has actually done more, more harm than good, to be honest, in, yeah, in terms of, because, you know, everyone's always talking about when is she going to play? When is she going to do this? And don't get me wrong, she's a fantastic player. But, you know, she's she's only one player at the end of the day, and I don't know what the feelings are like inside the camp. But you know, there's just so much focus seems to be on her rather than the team. I don't know whether I'd say that's done them a bit more harm mm. than good. Well, Spurs are in eleventh on three points. What do we make of them, Joe? What do they What do they need to do uh, apart from all of us not to stop talking about Alex Morgan, probably? <laughs> but <laughs> for me, it's just not quite clicking this season. Yet all the components are there. I've seen it play against Arsenal in the FA Cup and yeah, eventually I think it was 4-0, but for the first 70 minutes, they really held Arsenal. They've got all the parts there to get it right, but it's just not clicking. And yes, it might be the the Alex Morgan effect. I've heard in training that a lot of the younger players are loving working with her because, you know, it's a World Cup winner. She's an Olympic gold medalist. They can learn so much from her on the pitch and probably off the pitch as well. But I think they need to start, well, they do need to start picking up results and quickly. Um, But Bristol... They are minus 26 on goal difference. They've Ouch. had COVID tests. They've had squad, you know, a depleted squad. They've got a manager who wasn't there at the weekend and they got their first point. And I just think for a set of players, as Courtney touched on that, they've really been through it in the yeah. last few weeks. You saw the celebration when that equaliser went and you saw how much it meant to them. You know, they're, they're still fighting, even though they are really up against it this season. So I think you've got to give them a lot of plaudits for, for keeping going. But look, yeah. on paper, this this was the really unsexy tie of the weekend. And that's no <laughs> offence to, 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 to Bristol or Spurs. But we had a penalty, a red card and just about everything else in between. For me, it was the one game that actually really delivered. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, OK, well, let's move on to West Ham and Brighton. Two steps forward, one step back for West Ham. They followed up their first win of the season last weekend with defeat to Brighton on Sunday. Rihanna Jarrett with the only goal of the game midway through the second half for the visitors. So that finished West Ham nil, Brighton won. Um, I think Brighton boss Hope Power was pretty relieved at the end of this, uh, Courtney. She's still isolating. She said at the end of the game, I don't think we played particularly well again but we were very gutsy and very determined and this and this could have been a scrappy affair couldn't it at West Ham just you know desperate to try and uh, continue with some sort of form but Brighton won out and I think we have to congratulate them again for that. Yeah definitely and I think they're another team that you know they've been a bit up and down this season they've got that draw I think at the, at the start of the season against City and I think you know especially because of, of the players they've got the setup and, and Hope Powell people are expecting big things from them. So it's been a bit up and down for them, but I think they've always been a team that are very fit and obviously with Hope Powell in charge, that's no surprise. So it's it's no surprise in that they go right till the end um, and make it difficult for teams and they're so, so hard to break down. And again, like we've said, getting points when you are not playing well is one of the most crucial things in football. Yeah, so it's a second win of the season, as you say. Um, West Ham, gosh, we, we, we keep having this conversation and I sort of don't want to keep having it, but let's tell you what Matt Beard said at the end of the 
game. It's a massive blow. We just didn't take our chances. Simple as that. We could have had the game won in the first half. Uh, I think what he's referencing there is they did have uh, a couple of good chances. There was a Martha Thomas uh, shot straight at the Brighton keeper, a couple of long range efforts in the second half from Ken Zadali. And I suppose Matt Beard's right in that they should have been uh, a lot more clinical and, you know, really tried to take the game in the first half. So that it didn't matter if they missed their chances in the second half. But my goodness me, is he in trouble? Joe, what do you make of the situation there? Potentially, yes. You know, they. you look at their squad, it's got international players in it, players who've got experience, not just of the Women's Super League, but playing in, uh, you know, leagues abroad, seven games, four points, not good enough. And he knows that, the players will know that. Defensively, I don't think they've got it right this season. They're, they're conceding too easily. Yes, it was only a 1-0 defeat and their chances to win it. But defensively, I think that that's where their problems are starting from. I suspect Matt probably does feel under pressure because he knows with that squad, they shouldn't be on four points from from seven games. Look, Mm. come the end of the season, I think both West Ham and Brighton will be fine. I really do. But with the squad he's put together, with the money that's being invested, should they be further up? Yes, is the answer. This is the Offside Rule WSL edition, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Okay, well, that rounds up our league action. It's been a hectic couple of weeks, hasn't it? Back-to-back WSL and Cup fixtures for the teams to deal with. There's a bit of respite in terms of WSL action and a chance to uh, regroup for a number of teams now. Uh, We next see the top flight play 5th and 6th of December. That's due to the international break. Let's talk about that quickly. Phil Neville's announced his squad uh, just just before we recorded this, actually, Joe. This is for uh, his final camp of 2020. Uh, England's friendly against Norway. That was due on the 1st of December at Bramall Lane but that's been called off yeah and I think that's a big big blow because the game against Germany was called off this has been called off yeah. um it feels a bit Norway... depressing doesn't it all this I can't remember the last time I went abroad to cover an England game and it's not all <laughs> about me but it's taken a big hit on my on my international travel the, the big concern for me is they normally have a January training camp and then they go off to She Believes end of Feb they're not playing in the She Believes Cup this year, but if they don't have any games before the end of the year, which it doesn't look like they will, if they don't have any games in January, it will have been a whole year yes. before they have an international game. And a year out from a major tournament which they're hosting, I think is going to have a huge effect on them. Yeah. And people are saying, why are the other games going ahead? Well, that's because they're qualifiers. They, they almost have to go ahead. Whereas when they're friendly games, you know, one positive test or travel restrictions here and there and teams aren't keen to get them on. And so I just think if if we go, you know, if they go a year without playing a match, um, it, it does worry me one year out from the Euros. Yeah. Uh, well, just uh, a quick couple of headlines from uh, the squad for that final camp of 2020 for Phil Neville and the Lionesses. First senior call-up for Manchester United's Lauren James, well-deserved. Uh, Man City's Laura Coombs and Lucy Staniforth return. And there are second call-ups for Lotta Wuben Moy and Liverpool's Rinsola Babajide. Uh, you must have played with Rinsola at Liverpool, Courtney. Yeah, I did. Obviously, fantastic player with with bags of talent. And I think that's, you know, the only maybe positive of the fact that they can't play these games is the fact that they can bring players, you know, like Rins and and other younger players into the squad and and just get them around the squad just to to give them experience in terms of of how they're going to feel, what it's like to be in that squad. And so they know, you know, that it's, it's probably not the sort of players that are going to be included in the squad for the Euros, but at least they can be in and about and, and know what it's all about. So, you know, later in their career, um, when they'll be in that position, it, it's an easier transition. But I just want to say as well that I'm 
I'm so pleased for Laura Coombs. I think she's been fantastic for Man City over over the last few weeks, really took her chances. And I think she offers something quite a bit different compared to the other players because she's got that technical ability, but she's also really box to box and she makes them third man run. She gets herself, you know, she plays central normally, but she'll find herself in wide positions. And, you know, when I was at Liverpool with her, she, in terms of her assist for me, was was brilliant. It, she was a pleasure to play with. So I think she's bided the time. She didn't play much since she's been City, but Gareth Taylor seems to seems to like her, so really pleased for her. Yeah, well, she's a really, really useful player, I think. That's that's where she stands out. Um, her last appearance for the Lionesses was in October 2015, Joe. Was that in a, an away tournament in China, by any chance? Oh, my God, I don't have that in front of me, but I'll, but I'll bow to your great I saw a, a great stat as well, apparently, that that last uh, performance of Laura Coombs, I think Lauren James was 14. <laughs> Very interesting. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna make Coombsy feel really old there. <laughs> I mean, I I feel when I saw the squad come out, it was Laura Coombs's name that I thought, you know, that's a player that's really earned her spot yes. there. I think people questioned when she went from Liverpool to City how much time she'd get on the pitch, and everyone was so busy talking about City signing World Cup winners with Newis and Lavelle, and then Lucy Bronze and Alex Greenwood. That the kind of signing of Laura just went under the the radar a little bit, and we haven't seen much of her this season but as Courtney says Gareth Taylor's starting to give her chances and boy is she taking them she doesn't just score goals she scores some serious <laughs> thunderbolts as well and she's earned she's earned the spot in the mm. City team and I think she's earned the, the recall to England and it's been a while since we've seen her in England shirts. Well, of course, England don't have to go through Euros qualification because they're the hosts, but Scotland do. They face Portugal in Lisbon on the 27th of November before hosting Finland four days later. Well, Scotland are aiming to qualify for a third major tournament in a row. Uh, Shelley Kerr's side sit third in Group E on nine points from four games um, behind both upcoming opponents. Northern Ireland, they're at home to Belarus on the 27th. Uh, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland can all still qualify so everyone is still in the game but this will be a real test if we're just to mention Joe very quickly Scotland because of the nature of their opposition Portugal and then Finland this is a chance for them to really stamp their mark on their qualifying group these aren't going to be easy games no, they're they not aren't. just qualifiers that they're, they're going to walk through I think having the likes of, of you know particularly Jen Beattie Kim Little um Lisa Evans were having them back is such a boost for the squad particularly Kim Little on their day I'd expect them to win these games I expect them to qualify for the next tournaments which says something that you know there's an ex- expectation now that Scotland women get to major tournaments and, and that's how it should be but look we talk about crucial qualifiers they obviously are crucial but these are these are big big games as well and it'll really show us where Scotland are at at the moment against these, these kind of opposition particularly Portugal. Well let's talk League Cup Briefly, that's happening this week uh, before the international break. Um, plenty of fixtures uh, on offer. Let's mention a few of them. Wednesday sees Arsenal versus Spurs, Everton, Liverpool, uh, London City Lionesses versus Chelsea. Round two of the Manchester derby takes place on Thursday. Man United versus Man City. Uh, Coventry United plays Sheffield United, Courtney. Yeah, big game for us. Um, yeah. I think we're sort of, if we're, if we're being realistic, out of the cup, but I think... You know, in terms of our momentum, I think it's a very important game for us. As I've said, momentum is everything in football. So to to get a win will be very important um, coming off the back of, of some losses now. And then obviously the championship keeps going within the international break. So making sure that we've got a wind under our belts going into Charlton game on Sunday. 
And it's just Derby ahoy, isn't it, Joe? Arsenal, Spurs, Everton, Liverpool, another Derby. London City, Lioness is Chelsea. I mean, arguably, they're both London sides. City versus United. <laughs> What's your pick of the fixtures? I mean, Group C, it doesn't matter who's playing who. It always feels like some kind of Derby. Um, yeah. And, you know, United City off the back of the weekend. The Manchester Derby, you know, the weekend was the game that, that really delivered for me. So that's the one that I hope will deliver a similar kind of game. Be interesting to see how many changes the managers make. Obviously, it's the group stage of the cup. It's not knockout. Will they, you know, rest players, bring some others in? That, that's what I'm interested to yeah. see. OK, uh, just a quick word on Manchester United. They've written to the Football Association following the postponement of their Conti Cup fixture with Everton. It was meant to take place on the 4th of November, actually, at Wharton Hall Park, but it was called off due to concerns around the stadium. And what Casey Stone is basically saying is that she felt the rules were breached um, in terms of there being less than 24 hours notice of the postponement of that game. There should be consequences uh, to that she added. She said she also felt it was a problem that should be fixed that wasn't. So an interesting line there, Casey Stoney uh, obviously feels strongly enough to try and raise this with the FA and make a stand against it, Joe. She's, you know, the club have also made it public and she's giving a very public answer yeah. on it. So the club, they want people to know that this is what's happened. They're not happy with it. And they think that, you know, the FA need to take action. You know, Casey knows She's very intelligent. She's been around the game a long time. She knows by speaking about it, the issue goes public. So it'd be interesting to see how the FA handle it and what happens to that game if it is replayed and where and when. Well, Courtney, thank you. It's been brilliant to have you on the pod with your expertise and very good analysis there too. I hope you'll come back and uh, feature on the pod again sometime soon. Of course, if you'll have me. <laughs> of course we will. Um, Joe, a pleasure as always. What's next on your agenda? Uh, well, now we don't have any international games before the end of the year. That's uh, my calendar looking slightly You quiet, are really so. hacked off about that, aren't, aren't you, Joe? I can <laughs> tell. I'm glad, I'm glad you picked up on this. <laughs> But for me, it's, it's you know, continuing to, to follow the, the Women's Super League, get to as many games as possible and hopefully see, you know, lots of cracking matches between now and the end of the year. We look forward uh, to those forthcoming League Cup games and then, of course, a bit of a break, uh, some international action. Uh, we'll be back with you next week, though, summing it all up. So do not fear. You can rate, review and subscribe to us. You can do that via iTunes and all the other uh, popular podcast providers. The only options five star, by the way, in case you're wondering. Um, you can also keep up to date with what we are across on at Offside Rule Pod. That's on Instagram and on Twitter. We've got some brilliant women's football pieces up there. Amarachi Ore, actually, she is one of our mentorship writers and she's written a really good piece on Sam Mewis. We have our usual five things of the week for the WSL and plenty more content on the website, offsiderulepodcast.com to check that out. Thanks to you, Joe, and thanks to Courtney and we'll speak to you both soon. Bye. Thank you. You've been listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with every Everything Offside Rule at OffsideRulePodcast.com and by following at OffsideRulePod on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Offside Rule WSL edition is a Muddy Knees Media production. Muddy Knees Media